0: Hi, this is David Amram. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 on your FM dial, and keep on listening.
1: Welcome to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, todos los días on WBAI.org. I am your host, David Brand, coming to you live from my beautiful home studio in Ridgewood, Queens. I want to give a shout out to our engineer, Sean Rhodes, manning the controls again today. Thank you, Sean. My co host, Jeff Simmons, is off today. Jeff and I have been taking turns hosting during the COVID 19 lockdown, I guess. Now we call it slowdown. We're going to get the band back together when the studio reopens, and that depends on a lot of factors. Most importantly, New York City keeping our COVID rate down, which means no more massive Astoria street parties. I don't know if you saw these videos from Friday night, but huge crowds were gathering on Steinway Street drinking, not wearing masks, definitely not social distancing, come on, let's keep, stay vigilant here and keep this rate low and stay healthy. But we have a great live show with two fantastic guests today in City Watch's relatively new Sunday morning ten AM slot. If it's Sunday, it's City Watch, your home for Pancakes and Politics, Waffles and wubai that's the pronunciation for WBAI, wubai and today maybe some bagels and baseball. But back to the pancakes and politics. Our first guest, coming up in a few moments, had a big week. His name is Khalil Anderson, and you're going to want to remember that name because I think you may be hearing it a lot in the coming years. Anderson is set to become the youngest person in the state legislature after winning the Democratic primary for a vacant state assembly seat in southeast Queens, District 31. Khalil Anderson is just 24, and in that section of Queens, a win in the Democratic primary all but assures a general election victory and a seat in Albany. And now to the bagels and baseball, or waffles and watercolors. Our second guest, later in the show, is the prolific illustrator and artist, Andrew Hermida. He's a Brooklyn-based baseball fan who has gained a cult following by illustrating the scene in the stands at every single Mets game. Hermida loves the game, but his art is unique because he doesn't necessarily focus on the action on the field. He draws and paints his fellow fans at Citi Field. He had a gallery show in November, the before times, where he displayed all 81 illustrations from last season, and they were up for sale. But what will he do this year? What will any of us fans do during the accelerated 60-game season set to start Friday? We had our first exhibition game yesterday, a Subway Series matchup between the Mets and Yankees at Citi Field, and there's another one coming up Sunday night, tonight. Will we even make it the entire season, though? Will the Mets... World Series Championship ticker tape parade be conducted via Zoom because of social distancing orders? We'll discuss all that. We'll also feature an installment in our correspondent Celeste Katz Marston's great series, New York in Crisis Coronavirus Diaries, c- coming up later in the show. But to start off, I want to give some background about our first guest, the Democratic nominee for State Assembly in Southeast Queens District 31, Khalil Anderson. So New York's primary elections were June 23rd, but there are still many, many races yet to be determined as the Board of Elections methodically counts the hundreds of thousands of absentee ballots submitted in New York City. Khalil is one of the people who no longer has to worry about the count. After leading by about 10 percent after the in-person votes were tallied on Election Day, he sealed the Democratic nomination for eighty thirty one 31 after the absentee ballot count finished up on Wednesday afternoon. Now, Assembly District 31 is an interesting one because it's kind of separated into two parts. It includes the area around JFK Airport. So if you've ever been to JFK, you've been in this district. And that includes neighborhoods like South Ozone Park, Springfield Gardens. It also includes the eastern portion of the Rockway Peninsula, including Far Rockway, another popular place for visitors. So most of us have been to this area. Uh, But there are also two districts. There are two districts with, or two areas with distinct demographics. The mainland Queen's section has a large South Asian population, as well as a large Black and African-American population, but it's more middle class. The Far Rockway area is mostly Black and Latin American, has more concentrated poverty, and sometimes there's a divide between those two districts. For more than 17 years, AD 31 was represented by Michelle Titus, who left after she was elected to a judgeship and took the bench on January 1st. But Titus kept an extremely low profile, and critics said she did little to advocate for her district. So her leaving provided an opportunity for community members as well as for would-be lawmakers. In stepped Khalil Anderson, just 23 when he announced his candidacy. Five other people also entered the race, but Anderson distinguished himself by running an unabashedly progressive campaign. He got the backing of the Working Families Party, He names environmental racism as one of his main focuses, as well as issues affecting young people. But political observers have long questioned whether progressives can make inroads in the district, especially as organizing and media attention around progressive politics tends to focus on Western Queens. But Anderson showed there's an appetite for progressivism and left-wing politics in that area. And he maybe changed the narrative around what is politically possible in a region so often overlooked and underserved by city, state, and by private institutions. Here to talk with us about that is Khalil Anderson, the Democratic nominee for Southeast Queens Assembly District 31. Khalil Anderson, welcome to City Watch.
2: Good morning.
1: How are you doing today?
2: Good morning. I'm feeling well, David. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Well, thanks for coming on. So the first time I interviewed you was back in August 2019. And at the time, he told me, and this is a quote, there's a lot that the state assembly can do to affect lives on the local level. I'm talking block by block, street by street, neighbor by neighbor. So what can the assembly do? It's such a big institution. There's 150 assembly members. It also, you know, it's kind of controlled by the speaker. It has to rely on the Senate to get a lot done, and then it has to rely on the governor to sign off. So what can the assembly do, and what can you, as an individual assembly member, do for your district?
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, David, for starting off with that question. I think that that's vitally important for people to understand what the State Assembly actually is uh, and what it actually can do to impact our lives. Um, So I come from a community organizer background, uh, an activist, someone who uh, takes the little of nothing and makes something out of it for, for my friends, for my family, for my neighbors, and everyone's a neighbor who lives in this district, so that includes everybody. Uh, as the Assembly, the, the key functions of the Assembly is to, yes, argue you know, uh, and fight uh, uh, within the state budget negotiations uh, to do, you know, to introduce uh, state legislation and to promote community initiatives uh, and things of that nature. But uh, in my experience and my understanding of what this seat can do now that we've won is to really try to hammer away at some of those systemic issues that have plagued this district for so long. That means fighting to advocate for more green space. Uh, It means to go on the ground and and, and hear what the residents are saying about transportation and try to be impactful there. And really just dealing with some of the issues that are systemic and large at a grassroots way. And the assembly allows
0: that leadership
2: uh, uh, coin, if you will, uh, to be able to, actively engage government agencies city agencies state agencies nonprofit groups etc to really be a part of the change that needs to happen in this district Uh,
1: so what are what are residents saying about transportation because it's a lot of people who work in manhattan live in far rockway for example it can take a long time to get into into the city from there so what do you hear from people when it comes to transportation what would you advocate for
2: well certainly it it sucks Uh, let's start with that um as an advocate uh, and organizer, I helped uh, uh,
1: you know solicit
2: petitions um, from over 2,000 residents in the district uh, to expand Q52 bus service. And what I'm hearing from folks on the ground is they want transportation that makes sense, David. We've got uh, uh, almost every bus in the 31st Assembly District uh, uh, earned an F grade or a D grade, a failing grade overall, um, for lack of access to service and adequate services what people are saying is they they want to be able to leave the district and not have to have some of the highest commute times in the city they want bus routes and train routes that make sense that help them get from point a uh, to point b uh without having to take an hour and change to get there and uh, so of being in a rush and trains and buses being late And that's what people really want we've done it as an advocate and organizer uh, and we can do it as an assembly member even better.
1: On your campaign website, the very first thing you list on your policy platforms or your, I, mean, I guess, your platform overarching goals is you talk about addressing environmental racism. So can you talk about that? What is environmental racism and how does it affect your district?
2: Certainly. Environmental racism, in short, is really uh, um, having some of the environmental negatives uh, be Place in one community that's predominantly black and brown, right? So that means we uh, are more likely to have power plants. We're more like which we do. We have two in our district. We're more likely to uh, have high rates of asthma uh, and hypertension because of the environmental uh, factors in the neighborhood, and we're just more likely to have sort of the negatives of, of, of what any anything related to those types of things are. And and in this district, we have. Uh, airplane noise which is environmental racism because airplanes are flying directly over black and Brown homes and that leads to air pollution um, just until a little bit ago when the mca took their diesel bus fleets off the off the routes uh in our district we had diesel buses trucks that flow through our communities lack of access to green space and quality food produce this is environmental racism this is attacking a community uh, uh that you know otherwise would benefit from positive environmental factors and this is what we will and have been fighting against by expanding green space so that we can have fresh produce to eat and fighting back against uh, airplane noise uh, and air pollution that comes from those airplanes that fly over it, and making JFK a better neighbor.
1: So you mentioned the district including many black and brown communities there's large populations of black and african-americans large Latino, Latinx communities, large South Asian communities. It's a district that has, I guess, been disinvested in by the city, by the state, by private institutions, often ignored. Why did people discount progressive candidates there before? And your campaign really showed that there's an appetite for the things that you're talking about. So can you talk about that? Yeah, certainly. I think
2: People discounted progressivism uh, and didn't value what it is is, uh, primarily because, I guess, we're not speaking that language. And the language that folks want to hear is someone who's rooted in the neighborhood, uh, like myself, uh, someone who's committed to this neighborhood, uh, and someone who's willing to stand up to rich, wealthy, special interests that have really held this community behind and our campaign model was a new fight together. It was a new fight together because we've realized that our community, this district, is so geographically isolated and segmented. I, I know you said in the beginning of the program uh, that was split up into two communities. We're actually split up into three, uh, uh, three regions of this district. There's the Rockaways, Roosevelt, Brookfield, Springfield, South Oldham, South Richmond. Three very different, distinct parts of the district not getting the services and things that they needed. Uh, but the issues are, are quite similar, high foreclosure rates. Some folks are still reeling from Superstorm Sandy. Uh, we still have uh, issues with renters and high evictions uh, and things of that nature. And People wanted to hear a messenger, a young person, a progressive, uh, someone who had their best interests at heart and will stand up to, the, to those special interests that are really holding back progress for this district. And I have proven time and time again, uh, as an organizer, as an unpaid activist, as a, as a leader in this neighborhood, that we can really push these issues uh, uh, and provide a vision that's progressive, but it, it, but it's pragmatic and realistic. And that's what this district needs, uh, 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 it deserves, and, and fought for, which is why we, we, we were elected.
1: You've lived in a district for a long time. I, I think you went to middle school and high school in the area, correct? And You also graduated from Queens College. You've been politically and socially active from a young age. I mean, you're young now, but uh, you already have a lot of accomplishments. At 19, you were appointed to the local community board. But what resistance have you received because of your age?
2: Certainly. So, (laughs) I know the media won't let me live down on this age thing, but I'm excited to discuss it. It's one of my favorites. Um, I think that, Voters of all ages really supported a progressive vision. I think what kind of folks were able to look past was that vision uh, 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 and and, and the focus that we had on that vision, the opportunity to get a fresh voice, someone who understands the district and the state of politics at this moment. Um, I think that they asked themselves, who could they trust to defend their interests, to stand up to the rich, to stand up uh, to the powerful, and and, and, and separate from the, the age piece, They really were looking for a messenger, and they were able to look past that um, when we discussed the new fight together, when we began discussing environmental racism, which is not something that we talk about in great detail uh, in this district. But someone who's talking about food inequity, no one's talking about that, David. And that's the issue uh, 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 that folks are facing, but they have uh, not been able to really put a label on it and understand it. And I've been organizing around these issues for, as you said, a long time. And, and when we get to the assembly, we certainly will continue to work on these issues because this is what the people want. This is what they've mandated uh, that we work on. And this is, this is my mandate for change.
1: What's food inequity? Can you tell us about that and tell us how you would solve that as an assembly member?
2: Sure. So if you look at – I'll take Rosedale and, and, and I'll take the Rockaways, for example. You have to walk and go miles just to get an apple, just to get a pear or or, or fresh food or vegetables in that sense. It's often expensive uh, because, you know, they're sold at the delis and the small markets and things of that nature. There's nowhere to really get access to farm fresh produce. It impacts our health, it impacts our ability uh, uh, to enjoy a positive quality of life, and You know, as the next state assembly member, just as we did as an organizer, we hope to do uh, uh, work around bridging the gap with food inequity by looking at ways we can introduce urban agriculture to the district. Uh, I was successful as an organizer with the Rockaway Youth Task Force in helping build and expand uh, a full-acre urban farm that every weekend gives back uh, and sells at a low cost as well, gives back and sells. Uh, uh, produce at a low cost to the community, um, which is helping again, roll back and, and, and cut down on some of the systemic issues we see around food access and quality. I hope to do that in Roseville, Brookville, Springfield. I hope to do that in South Ozone Park. Really identifying spaces where we can introduce urban agriculture uh, and introduce or reintroduce fresh produce and fruits and vegetables uh, and, and healthy eating habits uh, to this district. And I've been a fighter on the front lines Against this, and this is a type of environmental racism. Um, I've been on the front lines organizing around that, and I'm excited uh, to continue that work in a more powerful position in the state assembly, where we can really truly effectuate change around food inequality.
1: How did that situation come about there? Why is there food inequity? Why are there? Why is there environmental racism in that district?
2: Sure, our district has been a dumping ground uh, for, you know, just some of the quote-unquote undesirable, and I and I hate that term, um, but undesirable things that any community would or would not want, and, and or don't contribute to the life lifeblood uh, of, of a functioning community. So, you know, we've been a dumping ground. We haven't had uh, enough uh, uh, voices to really push back, or people, the city hasn't been listening. Uh, to some of the things that we really need uh, to make a strong, you know, community. And so we get, uh, uh, you know, discounted. We get forgotten about. We say we don't want the airplanes to fly so low, they fly even lower. We say that we want access to fresh produce. We get vacant land. Uh, We say that we want better transportation. Uh, We get buses that come once a half hour. And we're just not being listened to uh, this district. And, and, And that's how this came about. Just the system of not being listened to, uh, people not advocating or fighting uh, 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 in spaces, you know, where leaders uh, and powers that be will listen uh, uh, to our cries and, and fights for hope and things of that nature. And so, I think that our candidacy represents a new fight together, representing, you know, a vision that will bring these communities together, a vision that will fight hard and loud uh, to the powers that be. And stand up to the interests that have allowed uh, this systemic oppression to take place for so long in this district, and, and i 'm ready to fight i 'm ready to go because this district really needs it in the, in the final
1: so, few, few moments I just, I, in the final few moments, I want to ask you you know you mentioned leaders, the powers that be you are on the verge of becoming a, a leader you 're already community leader, but becoming an elected official if you win in November um, and being among the powers that be. But I imagine these are issues that communities across the city, across the state are really facing. How would you work with other members of the Assembly or members of the state legislature to address these issues, not just in your district, but across the city and across the state?
2: Issue by issue, David. Looking at where uh, uh, allegiances might lie, um, you know, around issues and seeing how we can put our progressive spin a progressive message and progressive voice to that issue to really effectuate change and impact as many folks as we can. We will provide and structure legislation uh, and ideas uh, around these issues, looking at ways we can promote uh, community initiatives in this district, in this neighborhood, and, you know, talk about, you know, the fight, around making sure legislation coming from black and brown legislators in general, because that's what I'm, I'm surrounded about, needs to be taken serious. Uh, and needs to be, you know, something that we aspire um, to fight for. And that's and that's what I'm excited to do once we get into the assembly.
1: And just last question, is there another district that you have in mind or another current lawmaker that you feel like you could form a, an immediate alliance with?
2: Yes, certainly. Uh, You know, uh, I live in Senate District 10. If if we're talking, I I guess I can talk, David, I can talk locally and then I can talk citywide. Uh, Senate District 10 with with Senator Sanders has a lot of good ideas around how we can address the issues of, uh, we're also an underbanked community. We have a lack of access to banking opportunities uh, and spaces to to really uh, ensure that, You know, we can save and and build equity and things of that nature, so I'd like to certainly partner with him on that. Uh, If we're talking uh, citywide, I'd love to partner with leaders um, who recently won, uh, who have, like, uh, Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas and uh, Marcella in Brooklyn. These are folks who are committed to uh, building and expanding protections for tenants and small homeowners all across the city and state. And I'm excited to work with those folks on making sure that, uh, uh, you know, housing uh, and issues around housing can really be addressed uh, once we get to the community.
1: Well, Khalil Anderson, the Democratic nominee for Assembly District 31 in southeast Queens and Far Rockaway, thank you for joining CityWatch.
2: Thank you for having me, David. Look forward to more conversations on the issues.
1: You are listening to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live all day, every day at WBAI.org. That was Khalil Anderson, the Democratic nominee for Southeast Queens Assembly District 31. He will, if he's elected in the November general election, which in that heavily Democratic area seems almost like a formality, he would become the youngest state lawmaker at just age 24. But Anderson is just one of the many, many really relevant, excellent guests you'll hear on City Watch and on all of WBAI each week. We're a 60-year-old news station that continues to bring you peace and justice radio hour after hour, day after day. And I mentioned all day every day, streaming at WBAI.org and 99.5 FM. But we can't do that without you, and that is no joke. We are in the midst of our summer membership drive right now, and we hope you will consider making a cash contribution The WBAI to help keep us on the air and keep bringing you the great news, the great analysis, the great music that you hear every day. It's a tough time for most of us right now, news organizations included, but WBAI depends on contributions from our listeners to continue bringing you great coverage and interviews. In recent weeks, City Watch in particular has featured some really marquee guests talking about the biggest issues affecting our communities, really relevant issues throughout the COVID-19 crisis, throughout our Recent primary elections that are continuing until who knows when because there are so many issues when it comes to absentee ballots being invalidated, being continuing to be counted, to be challenged. This is going to stretch on throughout the summer. But we have had Congress members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Grace Meng coming up later. We have a segment recorded by our news correspondent Celeste Katz-Marston featuring Congress member Nidia Velasquez. We've had activist and former Queens DA candidate Tiffany Caban. State Senators Jessica Ramos and Julia Salazar, former Council Speaker Christine Quinn, all five candidates for Queensborough president, including the leading candidate right now, Donvin Richards, who seems headed to a victory after absentee ballots are counted. We've also had great local reporters, Daily News sports columnist Bradford William Davis, city and state politics reporter Jeff Colton, and of course... Last two weeks ago, we had Law360 reporter Emma Whitford. We've had Daily News Courts reporter Noah Goldberg. We want to continue bringing you that same level of analysis and reporting, the great guests coming into the studio, or since we've been doing this live remotely, talking by phone for interviews and making sure we get that set up and everything worked out in advance. So please consider making a sustaining contribution and becoming a BAI buddy. Listeners can become buddies by going to give to... WBAI.org that's give the number two WBAI.org and clicking buddies on the upper left-hand corner when the site opens and following the prompts. You can also call our call center at 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602 and say so you want to become a BAI buddy in the name of any program in the name of WBAI the station or in the name of our program CityWatch, give us some love. Give us a shout-out. Say you're becoming a sustaining member, a BAI buddy in the name of CityWatch. You can also text WBAI to 41444 and follow the prompts on your phone. That's 41444. Follow the prompts on your phone. We appreciate the support. And I've said it the past few weeks, but if you act now... I will throw in a free digital subscription of my newspaper, the Queens Daily Eagle, the only English language print daily newspaper in Queens. I'm the editor. We've been doing it for more than two years now. Love our readers, love our subscribers, love our vis, our web visitors at queenseagle.com. And if you subscribe to WBAI, become a BAI buddy. Send me a DM on Twitter. I'm at David F Brand. Again, that's at David F Brand. Let me know you pitched in, became a BAI buddy, and I will get you the Queen's Daily Eagle soaring into your inbox every morning. Again, that's double the bang for your buck. Become a BAI buddy and an Eagle amigo with one monthly contribution. So that's two great news organizations in one fell swoop. Visit give2wbai.org. Thanks for considering and for contributing. So again, we are City Watch. On WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. You may have heard me say that, WBAI.org, a few times in the last couple minutes. And I am your host, David Brand, coming to you live from my home studio in beautiful Ridgewood, Queens. It's a big week, a big week for politics, also a huge week for sports, huge end of the month here for sports. We have so many of our major professional leagues starting, including Major League Baseball, which started again yesterday. The Mets hosted the Yankees for an exhibition Subway Series. And I think I saw it was the first exhibition game in New York City since 1993 when the Mets hosted the Yankees. It was a little bizarre to watch, but because of how normal it seemed, to be honest, there were even fans behind home plate. But there were cardboard cutouts of fans. And, you know, it seemed normal on the surface. And those cardboard fans were kind of a facade that masked the emptiness behind them. Citi Field staff pumped in fake crowd noise. So if you had the game on in the background, like I did when I was in the kitchen, it almost sounded real because after a strikeout by a Mets pitcher, the crowd noise intensified and people cheered. And then you think about it, it's like, that's kind of bizarre. That's just uh, them pumping in some fake noise from past games, maybe from the 1986 World Series or something. That's fun to imagine. We had Gary Cohn, Keith Hernandez, and Ron da- Darling announcing the game. But as Gary Cohn pointed out, he was sitting in a separate booth from his fellow announcers players also sat under a big tarp in the stands it was a way to create a massive dugout to promote separation so that not everyone was stuffed together on the bench in the dugout and a handful of players even wore masks including yankee outfielder clint frazier who wore a gator around his face this is the kind of thing you see players wearing during freezing october world series games but the decision to wear a mask has made him a hero of the resistance It's also drawn backlash from conservative anti-maskers who are calling him a sheep and calling him out for uh, subscribing to this really important public health uh, protocol here where we wear masks to prevent the spread of this deadly pandemic that we're all experiencing right now. But Frazier even hit a home run in the Yankees' 9-3 win yesterday. The two clubs square off again tonight at Yankee Stadium. And then we have opening day coming up in a few days. The Mets Have opening day on Friday. The Yankees are doing it on Thursday. My next guest is here to talk about some of this. His name is Andrew Hermida. He's a great artist, and he's a fellow Mets fan. He goes by Herm. And if you've ever been to a Mets game in the past few years, you have probably encountered Hermida sitting in the stands, drawing the scene among the spectators, his big red beard dangling over his drawing pad as he watches what the vendors are doing, what his fellow fans are doing, and keeping an eye on the action on the field. I first encountered Herm on opening day 2018. I went with my dad and we ended up sitting in the same row and he was drawing the game. So I asked what he was doing and he told me about this project he was working on, drawing every single Mets home game from the stands. So I started following him on Instagram. He's at Herm Herman. Again, that's at Herm Herman. And he became quickly my favorite follow on on social media because he would show the progress of each of his drawings. He would show the finished product. And he would show all the other fun illustrations, all all the fun illustrations he was working on, in between games. But on opening day 2019, last year, I ended up again sitting in the same section with him, and uh, I took his picture there. We connected. He's done some work for my paper, the Queens Eagle, and he's been a great person to connect with, a great person to, you know, just enjoy his artwork, talk baseball with, and we're happy to have us to have him on the show today. So, Andrew Hermita illustrator, artist, huge Mets fan. Thank you for joining City Watch.
3: Hey, David, man. Thanks for having me.
1: That is awesome. It's cool that this all started because I sat with you in the same row and then I was intrigued by what you were working on. It was awesome. I followed you on Instagram. I saw the finished product that day and I was hooked since then. So tell us about that project. You're illustrating every Mets game by going to the game, sitting in the stands. It could be March 29th, freezing cold, it could be August 10th, 100 degrees, and yet you're you're getting it done. So tell us about that.
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, to be honest with you, the, the main thing that really attracted me to drawing the baseball game is I think that live drawing or like drawing from life is a really good practice to make yourself better as an artist. So, uh, you know, basically one day, it was 2014, I was sitting at a game and I pulled out my sketchbook and I just started drawing. And I just wanted to get better and better. And the more baseball games I would go to, the more practice I would get. So I just haven't stopped since then, really.
1: <laughs> so you haven't stopped since 2014. So that's a lot of drawings. What do you, where can we find those drawings?
3: Yeah, so, uh, well, I kind of have them in a box. My, the ones that are really good, I put online. You can view those on my website at termsterms.com. But uh, Instagram is probably the best way to have that.
1: So tell us about the practical considerations and the problems that arise when you're drawing. I mean, I saw a piece in The Athletic where you said uh, that going to all these games to complete your project means turning down a lot of parties and uh, having to let your friends down sometimes. But then there's also some of the other considerations, cold weather, rain, and then the price of tickets. So talk about that. What are some of the problems that you've encountered doing this?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, when when you tell some me personally, when you tell somebody that you want to draw every Mets home game, I think they think you're a little weird. They're like, oh, what do you do? Like, how how do you figure it out with work and your social life and stuff? But I'm lucky enough to have a good group of friends. So everyone's pretty much like, oh, okay, you know, Herm will make it when he makes it. So I tend to show up like three or four hours late to certain parties (laughs) and things like that. Uh, In terms of like, Ticket prices and such, Uh, you know, I've been lucky where a lot of people have, like, given me an extra ticket that they didn't have. Last season was really awesome because they had that, what was it, it was like $40 a month and you could go to every home game and it was standing room. So, you know, at the beginning of the season, you could probably, like, find the seat, like, in a Pepsi porch or uh, whatever they call it now, Coca-Cola corner, that sort of thing. So, Uh, But I think the toughest thing, honestly, is just the weather. You know, I'm really fair-skinned, so I need to always bring, like, SPF 100 suntan lotion with me when I'm sitting on those really hot days. Or even, like, those really cold days, like you mentioned, like in early uh, March or late March or early April. uh, Those games are really, really cold. And it's funny, because I'm actually laying out a book of all of the drawings from the 2019 season and kind of tell that story within. And I was looking through, like, my Instagram, which has kind of been like a scrapbook of everything, basically. And one of the things I had posted was, all of the different layers of clothing that I wore at one of the particular games. And, man, it was like, you know, everything from blankets and extra T-shirts and hoodies and stuff. So, yeah, you got to be prepared, man. <laughs> you never know what the weather's going to give you.
1: So the, the Mets haven't contacted you to be like an artist in residence?
3: No, that would be really awesome. No, you know, I've, I've been lucky, lucky to work with the Mets on some, uh, what did they have, the fan front first free T-shirt Fridays, that's the name of it. We were working with something for the 2020 season, but you know how that ended up. So hopefully in the future. But yeah, you know, I reached out to them to potentially maybe like sit far away by myself and like the upper decks, like 515 or something like that. But, you know, M O B is really strict with the amount of people that can come in. I think it's something like only 35 people are allowed in the ballpark at a time. So um, I'm, I'm way at the bottom of that list.
1: So what are you going to do this season? Uh, the season's starting Friday. We had game last night, game coming up tonight. How are you going to do this project?
3: Yeah, you know, that's a really fun question. You know, my favorite thing about drawing the games besides the practice and, every, and interacting with everybody is when I'm drawing the baseball games, I like to tell the story of what makes that particular day or game special. You know, like P. Alonso potentially getting that you know, that home run record or the or the or the special promotions and so on. So, you know, with what's going on now in the world, especially in baseball, I mean, there's a huge story to tell. So not being there is is makes it as obviously thrown like a, a wrench in it. But what I've been trying to do is, you know, any place that's within driving distance, I'd like to like go outside and capture like I guess the outside of the ballpark as much as I can. Maybe drawing, you know, people going in with masks or special requirements, getting the temperatures taken and things like that from a really far, safe distance. You'll definitely be seeing some drawings from my couch. (laughs) might have to make my TV look really cool or something. But I've also been doing some research on, again, certain areas. So I'm based in Brooklyn, so trying to find some areas where you can still go and view the game, but from, like, you know, like a far vantage point. Uh, For example, like, you know, at Wrigley Field, you can, like, sit on the rooftops and kind of watch out there. So, uh, I mean, we'll see. There's a couple of things I have in mind. I know in Boston, they have certain areas where you can kind of take a peek from the street, but I'm still in the infancy of that, so we'll see what, what how that plays out.
1: Stand on the 7-train platform, or I guess the Van Wick there, and try to uh, use some binoculars to get a peep, peek at what's going on yeah. inside the stadium.
3: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember, man, but when you would get off the 7-train, uh, when Shea was there, they had that giant platform. And, I mean, that would have been probably the best way to view right into it because that whole back part of Shea was opened up would have been great but honestly with my anxiety with everything going on I don't know if I'd want to be near anybody <laughs> maybe I'll get like a really long marker to draw.
1: create a bring a, <laughs> a phone booth or something like that and just stand inside <laughs> yeah <it. laughs> that's, good that's good work so what what is it about the Mets that make them your muse because I think a lot of artists are attracted to the Mets and a lot of creative people. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm saying that because I'm such a big Mets fan, so I have to justify uh, some of the pain that we experience. But what is it about the Mets that you love and what, what makes them your views?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, I always joke that it's my dad's fault that I'm a Mets fan, you know, so like, basically I just kind of followed suit when that. And, you know, I was born in 83, so I wasn't old enough really to remember too much of 86. But one of the things that really attracted me to the Mets overall this time is just they're just a bunch of characters and a bunch of fun guys and anything crazy or stupid that could happen to a baseball team usually happens to the mets so it makes i guess the fandom pretty exciting it's like the greatest reality show of all time being a mets fan i like to think so it's it's funny it's funny you say about like you know a lot of creatives jumping to the Mets and stuff, and I've noticed that too. I think there's, there's a lot of great Mets illustrators and artists out there, and there's just so much great history and, and new, daily news events that happen that make it like almost impossible to ignore, to draw
1: it. What are some of your favorite Mets memories when you talk about the funkiness or the uh, just absurdity of the team?
3: Oh, my gosh. I, what am I, I just recently read that book uh, from a couple years ago. It's called When, How bad guys won or how the bad guys won something to that extent and they told the story about after how they won one of the uh, conference games they went on this plane and it was just like debauchery <laughs> just like these crazy stories of, you know i like to think of like baseball players as these like you know role models and then you hear them just being like a bunch of crazy crazy guys you know so i always thought those were really fun uh, i mean uh, my personal that's
1: the book by the uh, by jeff perlman it's called i think it's called the bad guys won it's about the '86. Mets the last Mets team to win the World Series and they were full of characters and uh also I think a lot of them were full of drugs at that point too so <laughs> let's do even more stories.
3: It's uh, definitely a great read if you haven't had the chance man it's awesome.
1: So let's talk about this season I mean you're going to do some some different stuff with your project but let's make some predictions all right the Mets they're scheduled right now to play 60 games how many wins do you think they're going to have?
3: Oh yeah, I, this is really interesting.
1: I, I think the Mets will go 40-20, 41. Oh, okay. That'd be cool. I mean, they they have been known in over the last few years of getting off the hot starts, so we'll see if that continues. I think I saw Vegas odds have them uh, 32 and 27, but also in a three-way tie for first with uh, the Braves and the Phillies, or sorry, the Braves <laughs> and the Nationals. So I think that's a cop out by Vegas because nobody knows what's going to happen. But <laughs> yeah, 60-40. Right? Yep. I like that.
3: Yeah, I think it'll be good. You know, if you think about what happened last season, like in the beginning of August, they were on a hot streak, man. I forgot the exact numbers, but they could not be stopped. So if we think about, like, the shortened season from that era, I think that will be pretty good.
1: All right, a couple other questions for you here. How many home runs, how many dingers for Pete Alonso?
3: Well, I don't know. You know, so, you know, 53 was last season, and that was over the course of 162 games, so maybe... 30. i 30.
1: I'll say that. I mean, he he led the league in home runs last year. He had a extremely fast start. Let's see if he does it again. But I'm a little um. We're gonna look back at the, the end of his career when he falls like 30 home runs shy of the all time home run record. We're gonna say remember he missed those first three months of the 2020 season because of COVID. And we're gonna have to uh, I think put an asterisk and say you know prorated he has the home run record. Does he keep his shirt on? He's he's known for taking his shirt off or ripping off other players' shirts. Are players going to follow social distancing orders here and and keep their shirts on?
3: That's a great question. You know, you you had said earlier, like all the fans are pieces of cardboard now. So you know, I was at that game, and it's just the and the energy and the intensity is insane. So I mean, if you're not feeling that from the fans, I don't know if you go bare chested. But maybe you're feeling maybe the you know the excitement from your fans. So I, I'm going to think that Pete Alonzo is going to keep his shirt on this season. I we'll be see. Wrong. Maybe
1: the, the the fake crowd noise will get people going.
3: <laughs> they turn it up to 11.
1: Yeah. Uh, how many ankle fractures for Ioannis Cespedes?
3: Let's see. I mean, you know, I was funny. I was just telling my, a friend of mine about all of the, the random injuries from Cespedes recently so hopefully none i mean if so he with him just being the dh you know i think that uh he'll have far less time in the field so hopefully he'll stay pretty healthy
1: as we got to keep him away from wild boars that was the uh the issue last year i think he broke both of his ankles and uh and i got being
3: a mets fan great
1: (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah Yeah, what other club you don't hear about this with the yankees okay yankees so much history (laughs) so much gravitas You don't hear about their star sluggers breaking both their ankles while hunting wild boars. That's what sets the Mets apart, I guess. So I got another question for you. Will this year's World Series Championship ticker tape parade for the New York Mets be conducted via Zoom, Skype for business, or are we going to be out there on the street celebrating a World Series championship?
3: Oh my gosh! You know what? I you know I I want the whole world to be safe, and I want to make sure that everyone's in the best possible, safest conditions and, and health and such. But if the Mets win the World Series and there's a ticker tape parade, I, I I gotta go, man. That sounds really crazy. Maybe I would lock myself away for a little bit after that, but uh, I feel like it would be hard to stay away from something like that. Like
1: that. Well, you you can lock yourself away, just turning turning out art related to the Mets World Series victory I think that's going to sell really well I know I would buy one I'd buy several I think and just keep them uh, strategically placed around my apartment for uh, when I'm in a bad mood just check out Mets winning so let's see if that happens Andrew I want to thank you for coming on today Um, tell us again how we can follow your work on social media and what your website is
3: yeah thanks for having me man so uh, if anybody wants to see some more of my work uh, you can check out my website online. That's at hermsterms.com. Uh You can follow me on Instagram at Herm Herman. And for the remainder of July for the next two weeks, I'm doing an art class that you can watch on the seven lines, Instagram and social media platforms. And we just do Mets related arts and it's very kid friendly. It's made for the kids to, so, you know, take their minds off all the craziness in the world and have a good time.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us and we we'll look forward to seeing your work throughout this summer and uh, in the months and years to come.
3: I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: A great day. So, that was Mets illustrator and just overall great artist Andrew Hermida, joining us today on City Watch on WBAI ninety nine point five FM. It really is a cool project that he's been doing, and I've been following pretty much every day for past couple of years. A, a Mets game a day, plus a lot of great illustrations. Non-Mets related, he was profiled by ESPN a few years ago while doing some work at Fenway Park. So we talked about the Mets, love the Mets, got to show our support for the Mets, but he does a lot of great non-Mets work and I think stuff that baseball fans, sports fans, and just art fans in general would really appreciate. So happy to have him on, follow him on Instagram, at Herm Herman. again, at Herm Herman. You are listening to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live 24 hours a day at WBAI.org. We have another segment coming up, and this is something look forward to every week. News correspondent Celeste Katz-Marston with the latest installment in her excellent series, New York in Crisis, Coronavirus Diaries. I'm going to turn it over to Celeste with that segment right now.
4: Listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary.
0: I am Nery Velasquez, and I'm a Puerto Rican member of Congress who was elected to the House of Representatives uh, in 1993. I personally was stricken by the uh, virus. I came down with uh, excruciating pain and fever Then the next morning I called my doctor and I told him that I couldn't smell and I didn't have any, any taste. My temperature was close to a hundred and he said, I believe you have coronavirus. You need to isolate yourself. From that point on, I spent 14 days, uh, in, in isolation. Uh, dealing with the pain in my muscles, in my joints, uh, in my skin. I couldn't touch my skin. It was excruciating. I resent and I am very critical that the administration had information that didn't share with members of Congress and that we didn't move uh, fast enough, that we wasted two weeks, two precious weeks, the scientists are telling us that at least 33,000 people, 30,000 people would have saved their lives if we have moved with expeditiously, and, and we didn't do that. There were two issues that, that the pandemic exposed here in New York, but also nationally, and that is uh, the problem with the nursing homes, the lack of resources of manpower, the lack lack of capacity to deal with a a pandemic among seniors in nursing homes produce a lot of debt. And and that was a, a real issue that we need to address. We need to deal with the lack of infrastructure in those facilities, because we have to make sure the infrastructure is put in place because we don't know what is gonna happen in the fall. We don't know if we're gonna be here again, and that is why it's so important. The other issue that was exposed during the pandemic is the disparity that exists in our healthcare system and economic system. So those most impacted were brown and black people. They they died at a higher rate and two in terms of the economy, they were the ones losing their jobs because they cannot, uh, they had to show up. they uh, and, and, and therefore, they were more vulnerable. One thing that was so notable about the protest in New York and maybe around the nation is seeing people of all ages and backgrounds risking their health during this pandemic because they wanted to speak out about racial injustice and police abuse. So this speaks to their passion, but I think it's also further evidence that we have reached an inflection point on these issues. This time, there truly is widespread outrage and a real demand for tangible reform. So, I, I I truly believe that this time is different. The whole nation watched in shock the killing of George Floyd in real time. That never happened before. I just cannot bring myself uh, to watch that on, on, on television. It was just so, it, it really rocked the conscience of our nation, and I believe that people This time, at this moment, I resolve that we must demand transparency, accountability, and that we bring reform when it comes to police brutality.
4: Nidia Velasquez represents parts of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens in the United States Congress. Stay tuned for more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, and for the latest news and updates on COVID-19.
1: Thank you, Celeste. That was news correspondent Celeste Katz-Marson with one installment in her amazing series, New York in Crisis Coronavirus Diaries. And I've said it before, but this is really a time capsule for how New York City and our neighbors have handled the COVID-19 outbreak. Celeste has been providing these great reports since, I think, late March, and it's beautiful to listen to each week. I encourage you to check out this great series of journalism by visiting wbai.org. Go to Coronavirus Diary. It's right there on the main page. I don't even know if you have to scroll. And you can listen to all 16 installments. The series is formatted. Really nice package for easy viewing, easy listening. You can download it. You can listen to it on the site. Again, we are City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, David Brand, coming to you live from my home studio in beautiful Ridgewood, Queens. We have a few more minutes left in the show, so I want to do my pitch one last time for our listeners to consider you, to consider contributing to WBAI and helping us bring you great radio every single day where we are live on 99.5 FM and wbai.org. We depend on contributions from you and our other listeners to bring you great coverage, great interviews, great pieces of journalism like Celeste Katz Marston's Coronavirus Diary series. CityWatch has featured some cool guests, some really timely analysis in recent weeks, including today we had Khalil Anderson, Democratic nominee for Assembly District 31. If he wins the general election in the very heavily Democratic district there in Southeast Queens and Far Rockaway, he would become the youngest member of the state legislature. We also had artist, illustrator Andrew Hermida, whose series do, drawing and illustrating the Mets' Home games every single day for the past, I guess, five or six years now since 2014 uh, is a really cool New York City project that I encourage you all to check out by going on at Herm Herman on Instagram and following him. That's at Herm Herman. We want to continue bringing that kind of cool projects, that diversity, politics, baseball, art, and those interviews to New York City and the surrounding area. So please consider making a sustaining contribution and becoming a BAI buddy. One more time, listeners can become buddies by going to give2. That's the number two. Wbai.org and clicking buddies on the upper left-hand corner when the site opens, and following the prompts. You can also call our call center, 516-620-3602, and say you want to become a BAI buddy. And say you want to become a BAI buddy in the name of City Watch, the show you're listening to right now, hosted by me. David Brand, and coming back next week, Jeff Simmons, along with our news correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston. You can also text WBAI to 41444 and follow the prompts on your phone. Again, that's text WBAI to 41444 and just follow the prompts that you get in response. We appreciate the support. Act now, and I will throw in a free digital subscription of my newspaper, the Queens Daily Eagle. We cover Queens, cover other parts of New York City as well, especially when those... Issues overlap with Queens and New York state politics, too, and especially when it comes to the criminal justice system. So act now. You get two subscriptions and one fell swoop. Become a BAI buddy and an Eagle amigo with that one monthly contribution. Visit give to WBAI.org. Thanks for considering and for contributing. You have been listening this morning to City Watch on WBAI 99.5 FM Again, I'm your host, David Brand, and I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. I also want to thank my guests, Khalil Anderson, the Democratic nominee for Queens Assembly District 31, and Brooklyn-based baseball illustrator, Andrew Hermida. I also got to thank our news correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston, for her excellent Coronavirus Diary series. My co-host, Jeff Simmons, will be back next week with another great show. He will be talking with Ali Feldman-Taylor, the founder and president of Voters for Animal Rights And Nadida Bernkrant, Executive Director of the organization NY Class. Tune in. Before we go, I also have to extend my respect to John Lewis. Rest in peace, John Lewis, member of Congress, a civil rights icon who stood for what was right in our country and fought for it and put his life and his body on the line from a young age in the 1950s and 1960s. Rest in peace, John Lewis. Everyone listening today, thank you so much wear your mask, wash your hands. We're still all in this together. Thank you.
2: like The Bash, the mainstream media. Those same voices rarely offer an alternative. Lucky for you, you found the alternative already. You're tuned to it right now. Hi, my name is Reggie Johnson, and I'm the host of From the Soundboard. WBAI is a listener-supported, commercial-free radio station that loves to challenge the norms and defy them. But in order to keep providing you with groundbreaking conversations and unique arts content you rely on, we need your help. Donate by visiting Give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. Or pledge right from your smartphone by texting the letters WBAI 241444. And thank you for your support.
4: Amid the ongoing COVID 19 pandemic, New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo issued this executive order. All people in public must have a mask or nose covering, mouth and nose
2: covering. And they must wear it in a situation where you cannot or are not maintaining social distancing.
4: Governor Cuomo, on continuing to stop the spread of the coronavirus and WBAI to raise money for this listener-sponsored station to keep it going, we've created face masks with our own logo and a message that reads, "Keep." Free Speech Radio Alive. You can get a face mask in white or black by donating $35. You become a listener, sponsor, a member of WBAI for a full year. And you can choose the face mask in white or black. WBAI has created these face masks for you and as a way to keep this radio station afloat. $35 contribution, 516-620-3602. Say you want a WBAI face mask in white or black. It has a saying that reads, Keep free speech radio alive. You'd be helping us to keep WBAI and free speech radio alive. 516 620 3602. Or go to give2wbai.org and select the WBAI logo face mask in white or black. $35. $35. You're a member of WBAI for a full year and you're supporting this radio station. You're helping to keep our essential workers working and you're helping WBAI pay the bills. We know how difficult it is, how hard it is for many people. If you can't afford it, please become a member of WBAI for $35 a year and select the face mask as a gift to you.
2: On July 18th and 19th, the Concert for Cuba brings together over 50 legends of Afro-Cuban music, solidarity activists, and cultural voices in this once-in-a-lifetime celebration of Cuba's humanitarian efforts. Saluting the
0: volunteer doctors and calling for normalization of relations, join Michael Moore, Medea Benjamin, Tom Morello,